Thanks for joining us here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. My beloved co-host, Jeff Simmons, is taking just a tiny bit of well-earned time off today, but he will be back here on the airwaves with us very soon. So, Jeff, if you're out there, I hope you are having a good break, and we look forward to having you back on the program very soon. Really looking forward to today's show. I think it's going to be a good one. Very excited about this. We're going to be talking about a seemingly intractable problem right here in the Empire State. You guessed it. Political scandal and corruption. I can tell you as a reporter covering politics in New York for many, many years, this is something I've thought about a lot and something that as New Yorkers, we've all been dealing with for a very long time. You know, if you think about the kind of rogues gallery that goes for public leadership in this state, how many politicians can you think of just, you know, off the top of your head that have gotten in hot water? I'm sure we all remember former Governor Elliot Spitzer, former Governor Andrew Cuomo, former Assembly Speaker Sheldon Silver, former State Senate Majority Leader Dean Skelis, and of course, just recently resigned and now fighting this out in court, we have former Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin. So today on Driving Forces, we're just going to pause for a minute here to ask ourselves and each other this very important question. What the hell is going on with New York politics? Basically, why are we like this? And is it ever going to change? What has to happen to make it change? Who can change it? You know, these are big questions, and I'm glad you're here with me this hour to talk about this. So we're going to hear from some great expert guests, and I'm looking forward to hearing from them. Also looking forward to hearing directly from you in our listener call segment. That's going to be coming up a little bit later in the program. First, just a super quick reminder, this is listener-supported, non-commercial radio. Please go to WBAI.org today to make your contribution to free speech radio and check out some really great thank you gifts we have available for your donation, just $15 a month or more. You can become a WBAI buddy. That means you become a sustaining member supporting the station, keeping free speech radio alive and well in the greatest city in the world. If you would like to do this online, it only takes a minute. Very easy. You can do it right through your credit card in any amount you want. Just go to give to, that's the number two, WBAI.org. Give to WBAI.org. If you'd like to do it by phone, no problem. 212-209-2950. 212-209-2950. And remember, since we're right around tax time right now, your contribution to WBAI can be tax deductible. So you can do something good for free speech, for the community, and for your tax bill. I mean, come on, you can't beat that. So please give to WBAI today, and we thank you very much for your support. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier in the program, and we're going to be getting to our first guest in just a few moments, um, we are going to be talking about you know, what makes New York State so susceptible to political corruption? Why do we have this very, very long list of people who have gotten in trouble? Where are the guardrails? Is there something about the system that makes it you know, so tempting or so easy to to fall into these kinds of traps. Um, you know, we're talking, of course, uh, most recently about the former lieutenant governor, Brian Benjamin. Uh, he just resigned. He's dealing with allegations of campaign finance, misconduct, uh, quid pro quo. 
And we're going to use his example to talk about uh, both what's happening right at the moment, but also this bigger issue of New York's, quote unquote, unfortunately, tradition of political scandal. So we're going to jump right in. Joining us right now to talk about this is one of my personal favorite reporters, somebody I've looked up to for a long time in New York political reporting. That's Michael Gormley. He's worked for Newsday since 2013, covering state government, politics. He's covered Albany since 2001. When I first met him, he was covering state government and the Capitol for the Associated Press. I was just starting out in Albany covering uh, the state Capitol for the New York Daily News at the time. And I often look Look to him and his reporting to really better understand the way state government works and the way it doesn't work. And that's still true today. So, Michael Gormley, welcome back to WBAI. Oh, it's terrific to be back. Thanks a lot. Totally appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your leadership on reporting on these the many scandals of of our well, state we, capital. We miss, but we before we jump lot. in on that, just want to check in. You know, the the state capital obviously had a lot of change ups during um, the pandemic, uh, shut down to the public, and lots of that. What just what's it like uh, working at the state capital now, being around the capital now? Okay, I guess that was a super shocking question because all of a sudden I do not hear Michael Gormley still there with us. Michael Gormley. Okay, well, I guess we are having a little bit of a tech problem. So we are uh, going to hang in here for a minute and hopefully we will be hearing uh, back from the guest. Uh, I know our engineer Reggie Johnson is always dealing with some really temperamental uh, equipment here and uh, we are doing some of our programming remotely. So this is, uh, you know, does get to be a little, a little bit complicated at times, but hopefully um, this will be restored in a minute. Uh, in the meantime, I'm just going to sort of jazz hands this up a little bit and remind you once again that if you want to help us avoid some of these technical problems and come to you with a clear continuing signal, you can always go to give to, that's the number two, WBAI.org to support this station. We are commercial free. We are listener supported community radio. Give to, that's the number two, WBAI.org. And you can become a BAI buddy in the name of your favorite program. I hope it is driving forces, but I will allow that possibly, just possibly. Uh, it may be one of our other programs, perhaps City Watch, which is a program that uh, my co-host Jeff Simmons, who is the guy who actually brought me into this station, uh, also hosts on Sunday. And I know he's had a lot of great guests and he does a lot with uh, culture, with the arts uh, here on Driving Forces. We generally do public policy, politics, uh, that kind of thing. We dabble a little bit in media coverage, but uh, you know, these, these are some of the things that that we are working on here. So if you want to check it out, give to, that's the number two, WBAI.org. And you can choose from a lot of really excellent um, 
you know, gifts, thank you gifts that we have. You can give in any amount you want. And when you become a BAI buddy, you become a sustaining member of this station. And that means that you can also uh, become a member of the station and you can participate in important votes that determine the future, the trajectory of free speech radio in New York City. So that's give to WBAI.org. And today, and I hope that we are still uh, alive and well and on the radio, uh, I am not sure if we are or not, but uh, we are going to be talking about political scandal today. And we are talking, of course, most recently about what's happened with former, now former, Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin. Um, and I am just checking in with our uh, engineer, our great engineer, Reggie Johnson, to see if we are on the air, if we are uh, working on a tech problem. Not entirely sure what is happening here. But, um, you know, the the thing that we have seen recently, and we're going to be talking about this later on, hopefully, if uh, we end up uh, getting this tech problem fixed, is um, we're going to be talking about not only the history of scandal in New York State, but what can be done about it? What can be done? You know, there have been a lot of efforts in the past. You know, I don't know how rigorous they are. That might be up to you guys to talk about a little bit later in the program. But, um, you know, what has been the history, the track record of New York State in trying to address its own issues with corruption, with bribery, with self-dealing, with quid pro quos. You know, a lot of time we see these cases, um, alleged cases or convicted cases even of people offering uh, state resources or government resources of some kind in exchange for campaign donations in exchange for certain behaviors. And this stuff is really worrisome. And, you know, look, I'm not saying that every state house doesn't have some measure uh, of problems with this, that every state doesn't have some, uh, some issue with this. But, um, you know, this, this is something that seems to be very unique, um, to New York State, uh, you know, just in terms of the frequency, this is this is something that's, you know, frankly, really of concern. And if you think about where these um, these finances are going, you know, this is your money. This is your money that you work for, that you pay taxes for, and these things, these funds are supposed to go, you know, to the stuff that we all care about, whether it be roads, bridges. Uh, education, social services, uh, helping the homeless. It, it could be anything. It could be literally anything. But uh, when resources get diverted in this way, um, you know, you have to ask yourself, why isn't more being done? Um, and again, I think we are, I just did get a message from Michael Gormley uh, from Newsday, who's our guest. Um, he says that uh, there was a little bit of a tech problem. I'm hoping that we are working on the tech problem. I hope that you guys are hearing me. But again, you're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. I am Celeste Katz Marston here with you every Thursday at five o'clock. Usually I would be here with my co-host, the great Jeff Simmons, um, the guy who brought me into this station here uh, in 2018. 18, actually, I think it was September of 2018. 
And, uh, you know, we've been hosting the program together ever since. Luckily for him, he's able to take a much needed break. Uh, and uh, he will be back on the air with us very, very soon. So right now, I think we are continuing to work on these technical problems. But for the moment, uh, I am sort of this is one of the interesting things about live radio is that until you get to a call segment you don't know if anybody is actually out there hearing you just did a little bit of a check apparently i am still on the radio so we are going to try to get michael gormley back on the air uh very soon and uh i see that he is uh, he says he was cut off so we are going to try to get him back on the air again stand by with me and just remember, as I am kind of vamping here, and I really am anxious to get to our uh, get to both of our guests today. We have uh, Michael Gormley from Newsday. Oh, okay, let's see. Um, uh, Michael, are you there? Yes, Celeste. How are you doing? I'm sorry. Oh, there you there. are. Okay, I was just doing a little bit of verbal tap dancing, or actually a lot yes. of verbal tap <laughs> and dancing. And you do that well. Yeah. Ah, well, I, let me tell you, I am glad to have you back in my life again. Thank you very oh, much. Great. And thanks to our, our intrepid engineer, Reggie Johnson, for fixing whatever uh, wacky yeah. thing just happened there with our connection. But anyway, Michael Gormley, a uh, man who knows a lot about the Capitol. Let's just jump right back in. What is the latest on former Lieutenant Governor uh, Brian Benjamin? I understand he was he's resigned in the middle of these uh, corruption allegations. What is he doing now? And What's the deal with him still being on the ballot? Well, you know, it's an interesting, interesting situation in a very interesting place. Um, just today, uh, Governor Hochul uh, was asked about uh, Brian Benjamin, her lieutenant governor, who she chose just in September of last year. Um, and uh, he basically has a few ways, the, the Democrats have a few ways to get him off of the Hochul ticket. Because as of we, as of right now, uh, Brian Benjamin is the running mate for Governor Hochul in the Democratic primary and also for uh, the November general election, which, as you can imagine, her opponents are, are you know, hoping that that, that stays because they're going to try to tag her with, you know, a mistake of, of picking Brian Benjamin. Um, but just today, Governor Hochul said that she's she's not going to pursue one of the options to get him off of the running uh, off of her ticket. He could she could ask him to move out of state. And the, mm. the federal attorneys have allowed him to move to to Virginia uh, or um, uh, or Georgia, uh, where apparently he has family. But it doesn't sound like he's going to do that. Um, short of that, Governor Hochul said she understands the legislature is considering a, a new bill, uh, creating a new law that would allow someone to drop them drop them from their from their ticket if they are arrested for a felony. So yeah, I'm, we don't I'm know. I'm trying to remember yet, what are the, the other mechanisms? Are they I, what? One of them is well, dying, which is never a good choice, right? Uh, yes, right. <laughs> that's yeah, the, the other is resort. actually. Yeah, he could be. Um, he could be nominated to an assembly um, seat. Um, there's problems with that. This is this is one of the weird things, as you know, in New York law. Um, <clears throat> this is often used for to get people off of. Um, political tickets, they nominate them for a judgeship that they'll never run for and they'll never try to get, but it, it's a technical uh, jujitsu, really, in state election law. So what they could do here is someone could nominate Brian Benjamin for an assembly seat, and that would get him off of the lieutenant governor line. 
The problem with that, of course, is we don't know if Brian Benjamin is going to want to do that. Um, we also don't know who wants to be the person who stands up and nominates a guy who was just charged with you know, accusations of corruption for an assembly seat. So we're stuck probably with this legislation route, and that's where, that's where Governor Hochul gave more attention today than she has in the past, um, the idea of, of, a, of a new law that would allow this to happen. Republicans, of course, are jumping all over that. They're saying this is the, uh, the Democrats who control all of Albany changing the rules for themselves. So there's already opposition to it. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm your host, Celeste Katz-Marston, and we are speaking to Michael Gormley, correspondent for Newsday. We're talking about corruption and scandal in New York politics. And Michael, you know, I want to get into this sort of bigger picture stuff, but just for the moment, staying on this, um, you know, how do you think that what uh, the former lieutenant governor, Brian Benjamin, is being accused of stacks up to the accusations we've seen against people in high office in New York just in the last, you know, I don't know, five, ten years? I mean, how bad is it? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, I asked that same question to uh, to one of the, the political experts I talk with a lot, and he just goes, it's really bad. <laughs> and, you wow. know, it, it, it is for, for a different reason. I mean, not many people pay much attention to the lieutenant governor job until the governor resigns, um, as it happened in August with Governor Cuomo. Um, but, um, again, this was, this was Governor Hochul's first big decision, and she chose Brian Benjamin. And um, there was already rumblings a year before when he was running for city controller that there were problems in his um, – there were accusations, nothing proven at all about his, his, the way he ran his campaign finances system. Um, so the governor said that she'd heard that, that was everything was, was rectified, that he said in his questionnaire to the state police that he wasn't being investigated, he wasn't part of any investigation, and uh, Governor Hochul now says that that's, uh, uh, she was given the wrong information. You know, it, it's bad in that the, the, Tom Swazi, the congressman from Long Island, Who's challenging her for um, uh, for the prime for the Democratic nomination for governor um, is has already been saying you know questioning her management ability or management experience. So this is this is this is bad for the governor Hochul for now. She may be able to overcome this, but at the moment it's bad. And where does it stack up? Well, it stacks up pretty high because of the um, uh, it happened so quickly. He was uh, he was a lieutenant governor for just a few a few months after being a state senator, and he was uh, quickly um, arrested. And then he later that day he resigned. So it's like everything else in Albany, nothing's ever done the same way. So I, I would say Celeste, that this this rates up there as one of the highest profile uh, scandals that we've had so far. And again, remember, you know, he hasn't been convicted of anything here, so um, we'll have to see how that plays out as well. Right. Very, very important to uh, to mention that he, he will get his day or many days uh, in court, certainly, but uh, you know, very serious allegations. And, you know, um, Michael Gormley from Newsday, if you could talk a little bit more about uh, sort of the walk up to this from what I, you know, I think one, any reasonable person would say, uh, you know, if you look at the allegations as they have been laid out, it's not something that happened 
overnight. It's not something that happened in a day. How did he get through the vetting process? Why didn't they catch anything about this sooner or at least ask more questions about it? Well, you, you can you can imagine, Celeste, because this is exactly what you did when you were in Albany. Is we're, we're peppering the governor with questions about this all the time. And the, the, what we're getting so far is that that uh, Brian Benjamin, at least when he initially filled out his, his questionnaire, wasn't completely truthful, um, that he wasn't involved in any kind of investigation, although he wasn't the target of an investigation, which might have been a parsing of of phrases. Um, and then again, the governor said that, um, you know, if she hadn't the information uh, that she she's since gotten since the arrest, she never would have, of course, uh, chosen him as a lieutenant governor. Um, and I went right from there to the state police saying, you know, the governor says that the vetting process didn't work. What do you want to say? And uh, the state police won't talk about it. Um, so, I mean, it's a problem that a problem in the vetting process. Governor Hochul says she wants to improve it, but your question is still still the salient one. How did this happen? Um, saying that somebody wasn't truthful on a questionnaire doesn't seem to to cut it. You know, it really doesn't, and it's it's interesting to me, and it's always been interesting to me, sort of the the calculations that go into somebody choosing a running mate or somebody sort of anointing a successor. I mean, look, I think it's fair to say that you can't know everything about everyone at every moment, right? No one's looking for omniscience here, but uh, this is, this is again, something that, um, that went back, went back to his time in state center. This is also a guy who ran for New York city controller, if I'm not mistaken, which should come with some scrutiny. Uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, looking, you mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, the questions about what does this mean to the governor? Give us a snapshot of, you know, where does she stand now? She's already had people, uh, you know, interested in this job. This would be her running for her own first full ter- term after uh, Governor Cuomo flamed out. You know, what's her positioning right now? Well, you know, before before Brian Benjamin was was arrested by the feds, um, I, I really think that it was Governor Hochul's job to lose. I mean, she was in a good position. She was way ahead in the polls. She had far more money than, frankly, all of her um, competitors on the Democratic side and on the Republican side put together. Um, it's possible that dynamic has changed a lot. Um, the, the governor doesn't have the benefit of being an elected incumbent, so... She doesn't quite have the power of somebody who had already been elected one time, um, where voters are basically saying, you know, did she do a good job or did she do a bad job? And, you know, probably leaning towards reelection, which is what happens most of the time in politics. Um, but now, I mean, it depends on how long this is going to be. Her options for lieutenant governor include not picking a lieutenant governor, which I, there's a lot of Democrats who are suggesting that she do that. Um, don't pick a lieutenant governor at this point. Don't keep bringing up the issue by talking about a lieutenant governor appointment. Um, and right now it's being served, the role is being done by um, the state Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins. So it's not like there's an empty spot there. Um, so, you know, she, she's in a tough spot. Whether it's going to be long-term or not, I don't know. I mean, as some of the political experts are saying this is, uh, this is a very, very big hit against her campaign. I know that she's a really good campaigner, and she's one of these people, as, as you've seen, Celeste, that 
can make a big difference when somebody sees them actually speaking right into the camera or right into a, you know, at, at, a, at a live event. Um, she's good at that. So we'll have to see what happens. But um, it's certainly at the moment a difficult time for her. Um, and it'll be a good test, really. Yeah, and she's definitely come into office under all sorts of of intense conditions. You know, this real crucible of having to step in and her relationship with uh, Governor Cuomo before that, you know, from what I understood was pretty icy. She's still dealing with the pandemic. She's dealt with, um, you know, all sorts of the, the financial issues that affect all of us trying to bring back New York, um, you know, from the financial difficulties of the pandemic. And then, of course, crime and homelessness, all these things, you know, certainly a lot to deal with there. Um, and, and we'll see how she comes out of it. Um, yeah. I want to ask you the big picture question. You know, again, the stuff that I said when I introduced you here, um, I really meant it. Like you are somebody that I have looked to, uh, as somebody who's been covering and understands how Albany works really well for a really long time. You know, why do we keep having to tell these kinds of stories about corruption? It's, you <laughs> yeah. know, I mean, and it's like, you know, we have an assemblyman here or a councilman there or whatever it may be, but I mean, governor resigns governor resigns I mean, these are you know the leadership of both houses blowing up like why yeah, is it remember like you, this? It, it was even you know a controller it was alan hevesy the controller before oh yeah uh, alan hevesy of course right eric schneiderman the attorney general i mean yep there is a, it is a long list senate majority leaders um assembly speakers assembly speaker silver being one of them um so yeah there's a lot What's the basic stuff? I don't, we've talked about this before. You know, it's like there's so many little elements, and I think it comes down to one thing: is that in Albany, you can have a long career. I mean, it's not unusual, especially over the last couple of decades, for an assembly member or a senator to spend 20 or 30 years in Albany um, in that job. Um, that becomes a problem under the system that Albany has, which is a very strong majority system. So. If you're in the majority party, currently the Democrats have control of the Senate and the Assembly. There's a tremendous amount of power um, in that. You make appointments to committees, which involves more money. You actually even make office allocations to everyone. Um, you can raise a lot of money. And, you know, as one veteran um, uh, Assembly woman told me the other day, you know, it's not that necessarily that these people are bad people. It's just that if you're in there for a long time, you get sloppy. You know, you start to make take little shortcuts, even if you think you're doing the right thing, um, and, and it catches up to you. And there's also some some bad people that we've had um, over the years, and they're the ones who write the write the laws, and also the ones who create the ethics enforcement boards. I mean, you you've covered a few of them in Albany already. Mm -hmm. um, every governor who comes in creates a new ethics board, and they're almost always well, they are. They're always run by commissioners appointed by the same people they're supposed to regulate. Um, it's a basic problem in ethics enforcement in Albany. And not all, not all states do this. I knew from my days at the Associated Press that a lot of other states found ways to do this. They use, you know, law school professors. Um, they, they, they use uh, uh, disinterested, you know, third parties to try to vet some of these candidates. Um, Governor Hochul, to her credit, in her new plan for an ethics board, um, will have a check from law school deans who will have to approve members to um, to the commission, to the New Ethics Commission. But, you know, again, in some way, they would have been, they first were would be um, selected by the legislators and by the 
by the governor and the attorney general and the controller, all of whom this new commission is going to have to regulate. So it's, it's a difficult problem. And again, the legislature also writes, writes the laws um, and there's often loopholes. Um, you might remember um, Senator Joe Bruno created like a, a consultancy. Um, ultimately, he was acquitted of federal charges. He was accused of corruption charges um, because no law, state or federal, really suited what he was doing. I mean, but he was he collected a couple million dollars, I think it was, as a consultant to people trying to influence state government. Um, but the way he did it was within the law. You know, it was he, he went like right up to it, um, but he wasn't con- he his conviction didn't stick. And. You know, just in, in the moment we have left here, you know, as somebody, again, as somebody who's been watching this for a long time, over 20 years, do you ever get any sense that there is something that's going to break this cycle? Or is this, would there have to be something sort of thermonuclear to change Albany? Well, uh, you know, is this, is, I, I, is, is, is this what we get? I would suggest that Albany is, is so entrenched that even thermonuclear um, change <laughs> might not do it. But I do have some hope for you. Um, we've, there's a new, younger, mostly younger, not all younger, but a younger bunch of uh, legislators, uh, very progressive, that are, that are trying to change the system. They're not coming in here saying, I'm going to wait my turn. They're saying, we have to make changes now. And they have, have created coalitions with some of the more veteran members of the legislature who have been saying this for a long time, but couldn't get, you know, couldn't get their voice heard. So I think you've got a chance here of, of some real change with some of these progressives. Um, and, it, 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 you know, I, I don't know if it's, it's a coincidence or not, but a lot of them are women and they're looking at this whole, at the legislature in a different way than some of the, uh, the old men who have ran um, Albany for decades. So I, I think there's, some, there's a ray of hope there. And I think it's got to come from within because I think Albany has insulated itself from attacks from the outside. Uh, and Michael Gormley, I wish we had more time as always. Sorry for the uh, tech issue at the <laughs> beginning. But if people want to find out more about you and read your excellent, excellent work, where can they go? Uh, we're at Newsday.com. It's a, um, uh, that's our, um, our, our web page, all of our stuff there. You can also, of course, pick it up at your train station. Um, and um, it's been a thrill. It's just great talking to you again, Celeste. So uh, happy to do this anytime. Michael Gormley of Newsday. We will have to have you back very, very soon. Thanks for joining us here on Driving Forces. Take care. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. This is Driving Forces. Jeff Simmons will be uh, off today, but he will be back with us very, very soon. Thank you for support. You can go at any time, day or night, to give to, that's the number two, WBAI.org, to support non-commercial free speech radio in the greatest city in the world. Uh, as you uh, may have heard, if you're just joining us. We were just speaking to Michael Gormley, a longtime correspondent at the state capitol for Newsday, previously with the Associated Press, talking about the latest installment in a very long and complicated story uh, in the history of New York, which is political scandal. And uh, during my time, and I worked uh, at the Capitol as a reporter myself uh, for a few years, covered uh, government in New York for much longer 
uh, you know, there were certain people that I always went to to ask for context, to ask for ask for explanation, and sometimes to talk about what might be some possible solutions to breaking this cycle of corruption in New York State government. One of those people that I always spoke to uh, on the regular was Blair Horner, who is now the executive director of the New York Public Interest Research Group. You may know it as NYPERG, and it works on issues, studies, uh, engaging people in public education so they can better understand and influence uh, the government that we all live by, uh, from everything from being a consumer to being a voter to caring about the environment, public health, lots of different things. And so uh, I'd like to welcome Blair Horner right now to the program uh, to talk to us a little bit more about why is Albany like this and can it possibly change? Blair Horner, welcome to Driving Forces. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, well, I'm I'm blushing, Celeste. What an intro. That was great. Um, <laughs> and uh, just so your listeners all know, Celeste was a great reporter at uh, in the Capitol and uh, always sort of hunting down to get to the truth of what was going on, even though it was always very well hidden. Well, not always, usually very well hidden. And I heard you were talking very. to Michael Gormley, so another great reporter. It's a great combo and it's a tough act to follow. Well, I, I have I have every confidence. So this is obviously not the first time that you and I have talked about dysfunction, scandal. Uh, but, you know, since I, I first got to the Capitol, actually, remarkably enough, I got there in 2001, which was basically the first day or night of the Michael Boxley scandal, dating myself with that one. But... You know, Blair, you've been watching Albany and the Capitol for a long time. Like, is this the worst it's ever been? Is is it getting better? Where, where are we on the sort of like the horror scale here? <laughs> well, uh, uh, Celeste, you're right. I uh, started going, uh, getting involved in Albany uh, for my organization starting in 1984. And pretty much right after that, I think it was about 1986, there was scandal had erupted, which led uh, one part of the scandal led to the Queen's Democratic leader committing suicide in his kitchen. Um, and so it's been bad. It's always been bad. And uh, I don't know if it's worse now, but it's certainly the, the failure. It's the failure that things never seem to get any better, I think, is what's most obvious and painful to watch. And it's mainly because the people who run Albany don't want to give up control of running the place, and they're too terrified. Uh, of a independent enforcer. So if you don't have independent oversight, people behave differently. And that's one of the things I, w I was reading about. And NYPERG obviously has uh, said a lot about this. You've said a lot about this. But uh, one of the things I was reading was essentially likening Albany to a highway with no patrol cars. If nobody's watching, everybody's going to, you know, speed and, and act recklessly. I mean, is that is that really true? Why Why is Albany set up this way? Well, I mean, it's by design. It's not, um, it's not an accident. Just to use, continue using your metaphor. Um, it, uh, it's been this way ever since I've been uh, involved and probably predates that. I mean, Albany has been notorious. I don't know if any of your listeners watch the movie Lincoln, uh, but in one great scene, he's trying to line up votes, uh, for, um, uh, an amendment uh, you know, to a change to the, uh, the slavery laws. And he's like, get me a lobbyist from Albany to sort of help hotwire the deals that he's trying to put together. And so Albany's always had this reputation as, uh, you know, an occasionally unsavory place, by the way, just so everybody knows, just to stipulate it right off the top, the vast majority of the legislators and electeds and public officials I've dealt with over the many years that I've been involved 
are great. They're, you know, responsible. They're professional, the vast majority. But like any other human endeavor, you have angels, you have bums, and you have all the people in between. And so you need to have systems that identify the bums and get rid of them and also have systems in place so all of the people in between, the people like all of us, behave to our uh, and reacting to our better angels. And that's where the whole system really falls apart. There's no real um, ethics speed trap on the throughway of uh, New York that um, monitors how, uh, effectively monitors how people behave. And so as a result, people are always looking to game the system. And sometimes even honest, good people who start in Albany start to feel like that they're entitled to gaming the system because of what they're doing. And it's that sense of entitlement coupled with hubris uh, that leads people too often astray. And I think they'd behave differently if they knew that somebody was watching them and that they could get in big trouble if they behaved badly. We're speaking with Blair Horner of the New York Public Interest Research Group about corruption and scandal in New York politics and what to do about it. So, okay, Blair, so there's easy question. What do we do about it? Fix it. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the, 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 the political calculus of elected officials is no one, they've said this to me, no one loses elections because of what happens in Albany. And that's not entirely true, of course. But that the, the feeling is that the public is willing to accept um, uh, the sort of un- ongoing unsavoriness of state government, and for that matter, the same sort of thing happens with the federal government and to some extent local government as well, because people just expect so little uh, from elected officials who are willing to tolerate almost anything. And until that really changes, it's really hard to imagine how the system changes. But that being said, the key thing, and it really goes back to guys like Teddy Roosevelt, is you want to have a, as much of the government run by independent civil servant type staff who are involved in um, enforcing the law, and they do, they do so without fear or political favor, and they're, in, they're, they're set up to be an independent, nonpartisan entity, and that's what you need. You need that, those kinds of systems in place. And so far, even this new governor, even though she became governor because of the scandals of her predecessor, um, they've, they've been unwilling to create that type of system. They're far more interested in having a system that they can have some control over than they are to have an independent, professional um, uh, oversight entity. And that, so there's the policy response, which we know what to do. The political response has been the problem, which is right now lawmakers are not quaking in their boots uh, about voter reaction to failing to deal with the ongoing and festering problems of corruption, secrecy in Albany. That's that's a really great point. And we're going to have people call in a little bit later on in the program. And I hope people do call in because, yeah, that that's something that we should talk about. If people expect nothing from their government, then, OK, you know, then they should be satisfied. Right. But, um, you know, to, to the point of some of the stuff that you've been talking about and writing about, um, not to be self-referential, but when I first started doing a column, in addition to my regular reporting, um, uh, for the Daily News, I was writing about uh, an attempt to develop some sort of an ethics protocol under uh, Andrew Cuomo at the time. And the the, um, the column was about how they were having secret meetings to discuss government transparency. And I was like, yeah, okay, this makes no sense. They're literally doing this behind closed doors. And you've talked about how 
system. They can build a J-Cope or an ethics commission or whatever, but they end up packing it with their own people. So what's the point? I mean, is that is that what we're looking at when we talk about, quote unquote, fixing ethics in Albany, that they create something that has like a nice logo and a nice acronym, but it doesn't do anything? Yeah, I mean, you know, you see this too much in American politics and probably politics everywhere, but certainly in America and in New York, where the, the, the thought is, what are we designing that will have the most snap in terms of public relations? And they don't really care if it's effective. In the case when it, of, when it comes to ethics enforcement, they don't want it to be effective. And so the, at the time when then-Governor Cuomo created the Joint Commission on Public Ethics, you know, he sang from the rooftops that this was a historical achievement uh, and that would have all this impact, would clean up Albany, and it would be the most, and he also said he'd be the most transparent administration in New York history, which, again, the bar is set pretty low, but that's what he said he was going to do. Fast forward 10 years later, the Joint Commission on Public Ethics was a disaster. Uh, and um, they didn't effectively enforce the law. And even when handed things to act on, they, they couldn't do it. And the system that's supposed to watch that system didn't even. Let me give you your, your, your listeners sort of an example. Mm-hmm. So when, when the Joint Commission would have meetings on investigations, they would, it would be closed off. And the, the idea behind that was they're like this, discussing what to do about a particular case. There may be um, uh, aspects of it that, that shouldn't really be in the public eye because innocent people could be smeared by that, just the pure revelation. So the law said anything that happened behind those closed doors with the commissioners had to stay secret. Um, they, met, they met once to deal with a problem one of uh, then-Governor Cuomo's top aides who had been convicted of corruption, and they wanted to go after him as well for violating state laws after the fact, of course. The governor finds out that the Speaker Hasty, the Assembly Speaker uh, representative on the commission, was saying that they should act. And so the governor calls and complains to the Speaker and says, I tell your person to back off or whatever they said, right? So how did the governor find out? No one ever even asked the governor how he found out <laughs> in the follow-up investigations. How did that leak even occur? And then why was the governor calling the Assembly Speaker to get the person to back off? Unless he viewed that the, each of these nominee, these members of the commission, were mere puppets uh, that were there to do what they're being told by their sponsor, and so there you go. There's an example. So even the the lousy system that was in place uh, doesn't work right, and then the investigation into an obviously an, an, an illegal action where information that was supposed to be secret leaks out to the governor. No one even asks the governor how he found out about it, and so. The whole system is not set up for effective enforcement. It's like having, you know, if you were going to have speed traps on the highway, they were, the cars were made out of styrofoam and everybody knew it. It's like that, that it's a sort of a fake Potemkin-like way of saying that you're doing something but making sure that whatever you come up with doesn't work. And unfortunately, it looks like Governor Hochul's going down that same path. Well, on, on that on that uplifting note, Blair Blair Horner yeah. of Nyberg, I wish we well, had more well, time. It, it, it definitely can get better if the voters hold a candidate's office feet to the fire about fixing Albany. That will make a big change. Well, you've written recently. You said that this has to be part of the budget process, right? That there should be no budget until this real reform, which Governor Hochul promised, gets done. Where are we on that? Where are we on that? Well, the budget's done, and they came up with something new, but it seems like, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss sort of response. 
in the system, something they came up with is probably going to pr- operate better, but it is essentially the same thing with the governor and the legislative leaders will pick their own regul- ethics regulators in more or less the same fashion as has happened in the past. And so New Yorkers should ex- expect nothing less than more or less what's happened in the past. So it didn't really work. I mean, our opinion won't work. Uh, and our argument at the time is the why it should be in the budget is if you're going to blow up an old state agency and replace it with a new one, you should do it in the budget because you have to spend money to make that happen. Blair Horner of the New York Public Interest Research Group. Where can people find out more about you and your work on New York state government? Well, we have a website, uh, nyperg.org, um, and uh, N-Y-P-I-R-G, New York Public Interest Research Group, nyperg.org. Uh, you can find out more about all of the work that we do, and, and sometimes um, for uh, people that live downstate or listeners on Long Island, for example, we have a free service where you can type in your zip code and find out if a contaminants in your drinking water supply, so that's always fun to find out. Uh, and on there, we also have, you know, my uh, sort of weekly uh, comments uh, on uh, sort of the, the, the issues of the day. So it's chock full of good things and uh, nyperg.org. Perfect. Blair Horner, Executive Director of NYPERG, the New York Public Interest Research Group. Thank you for joining us here today on Driving Forces on WBAI. Thank you and great talking to you, Celeste. Absolutely. We'll do it again soon. You got it. So. We have uh, just had two awesome guests, Michael Gormley of Newsday and uh, Blair Horner of NYPIRG, talking about corruption and political scandal in New York. That could be definitely more than an hour-long show. Just want to remind you that if you want to keep this kind of awesome programming on the air, hear from experts, and we're going to be hearing from you in just a bit, please go to WBAI.org or give to, that's the number, to WBAI.org. So coming up, we have a little bit of a a compacted program today, but coming up, we're going to try to give you your chance to weigh in. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. What do you think about corruption in Albany? Will it ever end? How can we fix it? Uh, who do you think should be the next governor and lieutenant governor of New York? We want to hear from you on this important topic. So please call in to Driving Forces 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. Again, just a reminder that while we wait for your calls to come in, you can always go to WBAI.org and click Ways to Donate. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. We are going to be right back with you after a short musical break.
Shop Boys here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz Marston. Jeff Simmons is off, but he will be back with us very soon. Officially now time to go to the phones. We have a real tight call segment today. So uh, if you are holding, stay there. We're going to try to get to everybody. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. What did you think of our talks today about New York's history of political scandal and corruption going right to the phones wbai you're on the air what's your name and where you're calling from yes hi my name's david i'm calling from queens what's on your mind david i just want to say that i feel and i think a lot of people feel that you know these politicians are just fronts bases for special interests and new york city especially and new york state is captured and um you know they you know, special interests dictate policy like, you know, the nursing home industry, uh, alcohol industry, casino. Now there's gambling. Now they're going to put it in Manhattan. And I think people feel that, you know, what's the point? Because they, they're, they're just faces and they're, you know, the unions dictate, real estate developers dictate policy. They dictate what they, what, what will happen. And the reality is, I mean, look at Rikers, you know, mm-hmm. NYPD union, all these unions and real estate developers, for example, they dictate policy. Cuomo was a front, a face for all these special interests. And that's why he was able to be in power for so long until, I guess, he didn't do exactly what was needed for certain individuals. And that's why they got rid of him. But, um, you know, that's the way I feel that... Um, you know, Rikers especially, these, these are people that have not been convicted. And I don't, you know, whatever they did or didn't do, they deserve to be treated um, humanely. And uh, the unions, as the New York Times piece article shows, they're just, you know, rigging the system. There's no control. There's no oversight. Okay. And it's it's well, a tragedy. It's in, inhumanity. And it's inhumanity to human beings because people realize that it's they're just faces and they're phonies and they're frauds. So let me let me ask you because we want to give everybody uh, a chance if we can here, but just real quick, like super quick, David. What do you think would it take to change the face of of political corruption in New York? Oh, a educated electorate, an educated mm-hmm. that's not you know you know dis, uh, distracted by all this 
nonsense and entertainment. That's the only hope a educated electorate that comes out to vote. And you see it. You see it. Hardly anyone came out to vote. It's going down every year, especially for small elections and judges. And, you know, the ones who have the most power and money, like real estate developers, like unions, they are the ones who are turning out and getting out to vote. So, so more, more education and more political participation. I think that those are two great points. Thank you, David, for your call. Really appreciate it. I think we have another person ready to uh, jump in here. Going to go to the phones again. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you calling from? Hi, my name is Millie, and I'm calling from Queens. Hi, Millie. What's on your mind today? Uh, what's on my mind is that um, sorry about what happened with um, Brad Benjamin. And, um, you know, I wish him the best. Mm -hmm. Um, I will vote for Governor Hochul, and I know that she will be more thorough in her choosing of of a lieutenant governor when she has to. Uh, What do you, what do you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Also, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening and your partner was criticizing Eric Adams for having this, this extra police force. You know, and it, it was just bringing him down and talking him down, and the man has just gotten in there. What I'm saying to people is, you are not on the subway having a hammer pummeled into your head. You got, you got to get the police to do their job. And I am a black woman, and I don't want no police to kill my sons, but at the same time, we got to keep order. And this place is out of order with all these people. And I am not going on the subway anymore because I have a card. And I will drive it into the Manhattan, no, no matter how long it take, takes, whether I have to see my doctor. Because I don't want nobody to keep me on the subway. Okay? So people better be careful and, and, and be thoughtful when they criticize Eric Adams. Because he's just in there and whatever means necessary. And I do not care what color the people are who are beating people or mentally ill. Find a place to put them and stop this crime in New York. Let people can be going about their business in peace. Okay, thank you, Millie. Thank you so much for your call. Glad to hear from you. And I believe we have one more caller. We're going to try to squeeze in very limited time, so we're going to keep it brief. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Hi, my name is Kim, and I'm calling from Putnam County. What's on your mind today? Um, I just feel like uh, whatever's happening in Albany is kind of a microcosm of the macrocosm um, because, you know, when you talk about vetting and the vetting wasn't done well, well, then we look at the vetting that wasn't done for Kavanaugh in the Supreme Court. We look mm-hmm. at the vetting that wasn't done uh, for the guy who was uh, supposedly got the election, uh, Trump, uh, now known as Trump. Um, he had 26 allegations including lawsuits against him for sexual assault and that wasn't vetted and that was for him in the highest position of the land so during covid and i agree with the first caller that what needs to happen is um we used to teach civics i'm a new york state certified english teacher since 1986 we Mm -hmm. used to have civics classes in our schools and it was mandatory at the high school uh, level those are no more and the civics classes used to teach the children uh, about democracy and what our responsibilities were as citizens in a democracy. It didn't teach the kids about who to vote for. It taught them about the whole system and where you could plug in as a regular Joe Schmo citizen. And uh, that's no longer in our schools. 
So, you know, I do agree with the gentleman that we need to have more education, but I also feel like this whole adage of absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, you know, these people just feel like there's no accountability on them. And, in fact, they might be right. Um <laughs> It is, it is entirely it. Um, it is entirely possible. And Kim, I wish yeah. we had more time. I, I, I hate to cut you off, but unfortunately I'm I'm coming right up against it. Wanna thank you for your call. Also wanna thank David and Millie for your calls. Everybody else that we were not able to get to you, please call again next time. We love to hear from you, from uh the listeners. You are the ones that make this radio station so special and so exciting to work for, to volunteer for, and uh to listen to. Thanks to today's special Special guests, Michael Gormley of Newsday and Blair Horner of the New York Public Interest Research Group. Thanks again to your listeners. And of course, thanks to our engineer, Reggie Johnson, keeping things on track uh, every week here on Driving Forces. One last reminder, your contribution to help this program keep going and keep free speech radio live at WBAI is tax deductible. Please go to WBAI.org today to support this station. This has been Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the radio.